And howdy. howdy. So, yeah. Good game this weekend. Yeah. Who went? Uh, it, was, it was a nail biter there at the end. And, uh, but we are so glad that we made it through. And it's always great to get a W no matter how, what form it takes. So, uh, yeah, that was absolutely great. So glad you're here with us at Grace Southwood College. A um, couple of things just to orient you guys. If you are new here, just want to say uh, we are so thankful that you are here. And just so you know what things look like at Grace, we have a passion, uh, first of all, for the Word of God. And so we are going to worship and sing to the Lord um, And we're going to sing songs to worship him. And then we're going to open the word of God and study it together, which we're going to do in a second. So if you have a Bible, jump to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll read there in a a moment. Um, Also, after our worship and message portion, we actually break into table discussions uh, out in the cafeteria. And we have amazing table hosts. Table hosts, this is your opportunity. Go ahead and stand up for a moment just so people can see and recognize you. Yeah, give them a hand. Awesome, awesome. They are incredible, and they are adults that uh, really have a passion to pour into college students. And so they are here to get to know you and help you uh, as you kind of navigate your life in college and beyond. And so uh, they'll be guiding discussion after this, and we'll break out into those tables um, after the message portion. Two other things. One is that we, uh, we have a devotional that goes along with this sermon series. Uh, it is on the YouVersion app. And so you can uh, get download the YouVersion app, type in God of Creation, and then go through that uh, devotional um, series alongside of us. Uh, For our next series as well, there will be another um, app coming, and we'll be doing the book of Romans for the next uh, portion of the the semester. So we'll be doing the first eight chapters of Romans, and so you can download uh, that Romans series called Unashamed in a couple weeks as well. Uh, Also, uh, for any of these talks that you may have missed, we actually have a a podcast called the Grace College Podcast. If you go to Apple's iTunes, you can download our podcast and follow along there. So that's enough promotional material. Um, Now let's move on into the scripture. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which entangles so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? And have, not for, um, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you have given us this place to, to worship you and this place to learn about you. And I, I know for many of us, um, as we think about our lives and we think about you, it can be difficult to understand why we face the struggles that we do or why we face the challenges that we do. And Lord, I pray that um, as we study your word, we might get greater clarity 
into what you are doing through the pain and struggle of our lives that we face. And Lord, I know that for many of us right here in this room, there's, there's pain that we bring into this room. Pain from family, pain from relationships, pain from um, missed expectations, disappointments that we bring into this room. And Lord, when we walk through those moments, it is not always clear what you are doing and how you are leading us. So Lord, I pray for those of us in that spot that we might gain a better perspective on what you are doing in us and through us by opening your word and hearing from you. And so Lord, I pray that as we study your word together, you would open up our hearts, that we would have a better understanding of how to view your work in the world. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I ran track uh, in college And uh, I started early, though, so junior high was really my first time to be on the track team. And I remember uh, I was a skinny little guy, and uh, I'm still skinny and little, so nothing much has changed, but but I was in particular small. And so I I first uh, tried to go out for high jump, uh, which which I thought, hey, if you just jump and lay on a mat, that sounds like a great use of your time uh, for for high jump. And so I went out for that, and they they said to me, Kevin, you, you, you can't jump. Um, What else would you like to try? And I was like, well, I was always good at running for a long time. And they're like, perfect. We're going to make you a distance runner. And so I go and I start running. I remember the first race I went into as a little junior high kid. I was teeny, 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 tiny and very, very awkward. And and the gun blows and there's several people that just race to the front. I mean, they just go and they start sprinting this mile and a half race. And, and I was smart enough at that point in time, I was like, if I do that with them, I'm going to die and hate life. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do what they're doing. So they, the gun blows, they take off sprinting, and then I, I just kind of go mid-pack. And I start running with these guys in the middle of the pack. And, and as the laps go by, what ends up happening inevitably is these people that started strong start falling off into the back. And, and so I start working my way up and I realize, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm all right at this. But there's always one point in the race when, when you stop feeling good and your gut just starts to burn, you know? And, and, and you're like, I, I felt fine, but then it just feels like there's battery acid in my stomach. It just feels so bad. And, and that's why some of you had never run. You're like, I know, Kevin, like that's, all the time. Why would you want to continue that, right? And, and, and you just feel it burning, and then you have your coach yelling at you like, push, push, and you're just like, it just, it, everything just burns. And, and then they get to the last lap, it's the bell lap, and, and the bell starts ringing, and they're just like, now it's time to kick. And you're like, kick? Like, everything is just burning and hurting within me. I can't run any faster. And then like, people start to pass, and you're like, I don't think so, buddy. You know, you, just, you start... <laughs> running after them and, and, and you get to the finish line and, and you just collapse on the ground on the track and it's just hard and red and you get little pieces all over you and I'm stand laying there on there and I and I just everything within me hurts and and then they asked me, okay, you did a good job, man. You did a good job. You wanna run next week? I'm like, I I guess. I guess I <laughs> I guess that's that's what I signed up for and 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 the reality is this, and it's true in running and it's true in life. It's, it's easy to start strong. It's easy to feel good at the start. What's difficult is the pain that's in the middle of the race. 
What's difficult to endure is the pain in the middle of the race. And sometimes even at the finish of the race, you're like, I'm just so glad that was over. And you lay there and you're like, are you ready for another round? And you're like, please, sir, I might have another. You know, like I just, I, how do you feel when life gets difficult, when you're facing trials and you see it in races, but you also see it in life? And you're seeing it here at A&M in college. You started the first three weeks of school and you were just Guns blazed, like this semester is going to be incredible because I have better study habits, I have better time management habits, I know what my syllabus means, you know, you just have all of these great aspirations and then you get to right about now, you know, week four and like all of those great plans, those great aspirations that I will be on top of my studies, I will prepare for all of my exams, I will have good notes and then you get to the first round of tests and you're like, there is not a God in heaven. Uh, <laughs> Like what, what happened to all of those weeks and what happened to all of that time and, and, and how am I going to survive this next moment? There is a need for all of us to have endurance in life. But the challenge is this. It's difficult. It's hard. You grow weary. And that's what he says at the beginning of this passage in Hebrews. He's like, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There's people that have run the race of faith before you, before us. They, they have run it. And so we need to lay aside every sin that stings so closely, everything that's hindering us from chasing the Lord and, and, and living the life he's asking us to and run the race with endurance that's set before us. We're supposed to, to run this semester well, to run our, the race of our life well, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured from sinners. Like Consider all of those Aggies that have gone before you, that have made it through engineering, You know these great cloud of witnesses, right? Just all of these people that have endured. It's possible, it's possible. But then he then says, but you can get discouraged and grow weary. He says, don't, don't let yourself grow weary and lose heart. And the question I think most of us ask is this, God, can I trust you in how you're leading my life right now? When I get weary, when it gets, life gets difficult, can I trust where you are leading me? And that is a big question And that is a tough question. Can you trust God's hand and his work in your life? This is an image from outer space. It's coined the hand of God. Now, it's not the literal hand of God. It's a pulsar. It's a a beautiful picture captured by by NASA. It's a beautiful picture, and it's it's considered the hand of God. And, And although there is not a literal, physical hand of God in the universe, there is a guiding hand of God in the world. And in your life, in your situations, God has arranged things to guide your life in a certain way. There is a hand of God at Work And over the past several weeks, what we have said is this, that there's a God who is immense. He is bigger than anything you can imagine, and he's revealed himself in the universe. He is also intelligent. He is smart enough to solve every one of your problems and lead your life in a positive direction that is for his glory. He is intelligent. He's smart enough to lead you. He is, thirdly, he is intricate. He has woven you together purposefully. Your strengths, your weaknesses, everything about you is perfectly arranged by God. His hand is at work in the world. And he is, fourthly, what we're looking at this morning, 
is that he's intimate. He is intimate with his hands working on you. But let me tell you something about the intimacy of God. We're not talking about romantic intimacy. We're talking about closeness and intimacy. And the closeness of God, although beautiful and can be encouraging, can also be very difficult. And there's two pictures, two images I want to give you this morning to think about God. The first one is this, God as the potter. Jeremiah 18 says it this way. It says, the word, of the, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise, go to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to the potter. Then the word of the Lord came to me and said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. What God is saying to Jeremiah is this, that, that my people are like clay in my hand. My people, I can form them, and when they, they are not doing what I'm asking them to do, I have the power, I have the authority to shape their life in a new way. I have the power to form you, he's saying to the nation of Israel. And he compares himself like a potter. And if you're not familiar with potter and how pottery works, it's, it's basically like this. There's, there's dust, There is dust that is the basis of the clay that the potter starts with in order to make something, to make a beautiful vessel, to make a beautiful vase. It starts with simply dust. And what's amazing is in Genesis 2, it says that God took the dust of the earth to form you. We are basically the the dust of the earth. We are chemicals that we looked at last week. We are are molecules that are put together. together. We are are dust that, that the potter gathers together. And he adds, adds water, adds moisture to the water. In fact, in Genesis 2, it says this, that, that God leaned down and breathed into the man the breath of life. It was like a kiss. He leaned in and breathed in. And then he begins taking the raw materials and begins forming you. And we even looked last week where David said in the psalm that you formed me In my mother's womb, you intricately wove me together in my mother's womb. You took me, my unformed substance, and like a potter does with clay, you took the water and you began forming the dust into something beautiful. Now, I'm not a potter, so we're only going to go so far with this illustration. But he begins working and working the simple dust to make it to a starting point where he can do something. And eventually, when you work it enough through together, you begin to get a lump of clay. (laughs) And if you look at this at the start, you're like, that is very messy, Kevin. I'm not sure how you're going to turn the pages of your Bible in the future. Um, with this commitment. But what God does with you is he says he's the potter. He's the potter that gathers 
the clay together, the dust of the earth. And to be honest, this is us when he gathers us. We are an unformed, unuseful substance in the hand of the potter. And when God begins working in your life, you are not all that you could be. But God loves you enough to take you and to begin forming your life into something useful in the hand of the master. And see, for all of us, we've got to come to God on our knees, not on our feet. Knowing that we are not all that we could be. God has made us. He's made us intentionally. He's made us purposefully. He loves us, but we are not all that we could be yet. And as he takes us, he begins the process of forming us. He takes us into his hand, and there's a second image I want to give you into what God does. Not only is he a potter, secondly, he's the potter father. He's a father that works the clay like a potter. Several years ago, I went to a, um, a pottery maker here in town called Joy Pottery. There's a woman who, who makes beautiful things out of pottery. And so I, I literally sat down with her and I said, tell me about the process a potter goes through in order to make dust into something beautiful. What is that process to go through? And I literally just sat down with her as she begins um, taking dirt and starts molding it with her hands and making it into something beautiful. And she says, There's, this is the simple process. There's a process of gathering the materials, whether it's clay or, or, or dust to begin making the clay that you want. Then there's a process of centering it in the middle of a potter's wheel. And then there's a process of molding it and then firing it and then painting it and firing it again. And as the the skilled potter takes this raw piece of material and begins molding it in his or her hands, it eventually will become something beautiful. And God is a father who is like a good potter. And he does both. God has the power to form you, but God also has a process to form you. He has the power to shape your life into something better than it currently is. And he has the the power, the process in which to do it. He goes, I know what I'm going to do in this person's life to make them into something beautiful, to make them into something useful. But that process has two qualities. It is purposeful and it is painful. The work of the Father Potter's hands in your life and my life is purposeful. And secondly, it's painful. Hebrews 12 forces it this way. If you, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. He says, listen, in your struggle against sin, in your struggle against becoming more as who Christ wants you to be, you're not even bleeding yet. Which is an interesting analogy. Um, I was watching a video on Netflix about these weightlifters, and they literally lift till they bleed. There was one MMA fighter that was going to go train with these guys, and he walks into this, this place that's just dirty and nasty, and all these guys lifting heavy weights. He walks in, and one of the guys just gets finished lifting. There's blood coming out of his nose and his ears, and he goes, hey, I'm so glad you're here. And he shakes his hand, and that MMA fighter goes, I knew that was the place for me. <laughs> 
And I'm like, oh, interesting. And biblical. He says, you haven't even resisted the point of shedding blood. But let me tell you how the Father Potter works on you. The first step in that process, after he gathers you into his place, is to center you. To put you right in the middle of where he needs you to be. After a potter grabs the clay and starts forming it and working it to the right consistency, they'll sit in front of a wheel and the wheel will start spinning. And what they'll do is it's called throwing the clay. They'll take the clay and throw it down in the middle of the wheel. And they need to get it right in the center of the wheel because as the wheel spins, they're going to start working on it to make a beautiful, round, uniform piece. But if it's off-center, it will start wobbling and fall. Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? So like you need it right in the center in order for the master to start working the clay. And God says, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do in your life. I'm going to put you right in the center of my will, right in the center of my wheel so that I can work on you. Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 7 says it this way. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? If you have a Bible, underline that word, sons. My son, underline it again, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves you, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Circle the world loves. Discipline is to the sons that he loves, the sons and daughters that he loves. And he chastises every son, there's your son word again, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you, have, that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? When God is thinking about you and putting you in the center of his wheel, the center of his will, he thinks you of as a son or a daughter. He says, I am intimate in my relationship with you. I care for you. And so I need you to be close to me. I need you to be right in the center of my wheel if I'm actually going to work on you. And what things are, is God going to work in you? What does it mean to be in the center of God's will, in the center of God's wheel? What does that mean? Well, there's a, an author named Robert Clinton. He's a, he's a PhD, um, and he wrote a book called The Making of a Leader. And he writes this, I think this is so helpful. God's first priority in developing a leader is to refine his character. Integrity is the true measure of the inner life. Character development comes before ministry. We saw the testing patterns of integrity checks, obedience checks, and word checks. He's referring to a couple things. God wants to check your integrity. He's going to put you in situations where you're you're attempted to not make the right decision. You're attempted to do the wrong thing. He's going to put you there to test what's really in your heart. He's going to check obedience checks. He's going to put you in situations when you're tempted to not obey God, to go do your own thing, to not be faithful with what God's given you. You're going to go through that check. And he's going to give you word checks. He's going to see if you actually know the word of God and are living by the word of God. These checks identify leadership potential. And for every Christian, God puts you in the center of an opportunity where he can form you, where he can work on you. And you'll have checks. You'll have obedience checks. You'll have integrity checks. You'll have opportunities to either follow God or not. Simon Sinek, he's not a Christian, he's a humanist. 
But he advises companies on uh, multiple things, but one of them he uh, had a talk on recently was on the millennial problem. Now, most of you, or maybe half of you are millennials in this room at this point, whatever the generation gap is, who cares? Um, But he says there's companies that have, they're seeing challenges as young people enter the workforce. And he writes this, here's the challenges that he is seeing in this younger generation. He says this, everything you want, you can have instantly. Everything you want, instant gratification, accept job satisfaction, and strength of relationships. He's like, you can have everything instantly, but, but not job satisfaction and not strength in your relationships. That, there ain't no uh, out for that. They are slow, meandering, uncomfortable, messy process. And so I keep meeting wonderful, fantastic, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids They've graduated uh, school, they've, uh, they've entered in their first entry-level job, and I sit down with them and I go, how is it going? And they say, I think I'm going to quit. I'm like, why? They're like, I'm not making an impact. I'm like, you've been here eight months. <laughs> it's as if they're standing in front of a mountain, and they have the abstract concept of impact, and they want to have on it. And they have this abstract concept called impact, and they want to have that they want to make in the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. He says, I talk to young people, what they what happens is they get their first job, they get their first opportunity, they don't realize how difficult it is to grow and go the distance in any given company. He says, what this young generation needs is to learn patience. That some things are, that really, really matter, like love or job fulfillment or joy or love of life or self-confidence, a skill set, any of these things, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set, you will fall off the mountain. And although he is not a Christian, he has pinpointed his finger on a true spiritual principle, and it's this. What we need is endurance. When we are in the center of God's will, the center of God's wheel, it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean going the distance in our faith will be easy. And when we're there, it actually will be painful. It actually will be purposeful, and it is God's guiding hand that will purposely begin working on you because once he starts forming you, and once he sits you there and starts spinning you around and you're going, am I supposed to be here? I don't even know. What's going on? God's saying, and now I began the process of forming. I haven't started yet. Eight months into your first job, we haven't even started yet. Four weeks into your first semester of college, we haven't even started yet. You are in the center of my will, and now I'll begin forming you. In verse 5 through 7, it says it this way of Hebrews. And here, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And I've already read this, but there's two words that, that need to be emphasized. In verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Those two words, discipline and chastising, those are two very interesting words in the Greek. 
The word discipline is the word pedia. It's like training up a young person. It's the intent of forming proper habits. And it could be instruction like teaching or it could be correction. He says, I am training you, I am educating you, I am disciplining you as a son. And the second word, um, chastising, I'm sorry, the second word chastising is this. It's used to describe scourging. To beat with a whip, um, to flog. And it says this, Jesus was scourged. The same word chastises, chastised in Matthew 15, 15. So God in his training of us, will discipline us, he'll teach us the right thing to do. And oftentimes he teaches us through pain. The training and discipline often comes through pain. He says, if you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. He says, I'm disciplining you for for a purpose. I'm forming you. And so as a potter takes the clay and begins, the wheel is spinning, the potter will start forming that clay and start putting um, his or her fingers in it to start shaping it and making it round and, and start making it taller or shorter based on the vision that the master has. And the bottom line is we can fight the forming process. But everyone knows that if we, are, if we let the people that are guiding us form us, we will eventually turn into the people we need to be. So some of you are in the core, right? Anyone in the core? And when you come in as a freshman, you are a murky lump of goo, right? (laughs) And you have a sweet sophomore whose responsibility is to form you. And so that sophomore comes and says, hey, buddy, I'm so glad you signed up for Aggie Aggie, Life. I'm so glad you're here. Are you tired? Do you need a nap? I don't care. You know, like that's... That's how that goes, right? And he knows when I take this freshman who doesn't know anything, and uh, they use nice, kind words to describe how little you know. Um, they, they then say, and I want to make you into something that's from soft to strong. I want to make you from something that doesn't know what to do to something that's strong, that can go the distance. I want to make you from something soft and gooey to something strong and useful. And you can fight the process, but you will never become a soldier. You can fight the process, but you will never be useful in the core. And the same is true in all of life. We can fight God's forming of us, but then we will never do the thing that God is wanting us to do. And the the hardest part is that it doesn't even stop there with those discipline, those forming moments. It goes further. In fact, after a a potter takes the clay and begins forming it and gets to the vessel that he or she wants, what they'll do is they'll take it into the process of firing And so they'll put it into a kiln. This is a picture of a kiln. And they'll heat it to about 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And I can imagine if I were a 
a lump of clay that just went through all of this arduous forming process and they start walking me as that lump of clay towards the hotter fire, I can imagine a little bit of uncertainty. I can imagine going, what are you doing to me? You know, I don't want this. Like, I dealt with all of that. I don't want the temperature to turn up higher. But that's exactly what the loving potter father does. Hebrews 12, 11 says it this way. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. All discipline, all challenges feel difficult, but if you let it go in its process, it will produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. One blogger, a guy named Matthew or Matt Nelson, says it this way What makes Christianity hard is it reminds us of our imperfections. We are much too prideful to enjoy such a thing, and this, I fear, is where the skeptic checks out. The skeptic robs himself the opportunity to encounter the good news. And Chesterton famously remarked, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. For many of us, when we begin that forming process that God has in us, it becomes difficult. It becomes hot. And God says, I'm still working on you. I'm still forming you. And the temperature will turn up in your life. Life will become more difficult 1 Peter 4.12 says it this way, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which comes upon you to test you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share the sufferings of Christ, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. See, everyone knows this. When we begin forming, what we need to do next is put them into testing. And as we put that person into testing, we see what's really there. Is the forming strong enough to withstand the test? Coaches know this. We can't just sit in the practice facility talking about the ideas of plays. We've got to get into the game. We've got to let those people hit you to figure out if you actually know what to do in the pocket to make the pass. We need to put you in game situations to see if all the training is actually doing anything. Professors know this. If you want to be, make a great um, uh, engineer, you can't just say, do you like engineering? That's awesome, buddy. Yeah, great. No, no, you pile them on with lots of math problems, right? And lots of, of, of late nights and lots of struggle to burn that in. And then you give them exams. And you're like, why do we need exams? This is so weird. And the professor's like, because we want to see what's really there. Parents know this. If I give my children everything they ask for, they will grow up to be horrendous human beings. (laughs) They know that I train them. And then we put them into school to see what's really there. (laughs) You have to train and put them into crisis to let the character rise to the surface. Trial by fire is painful. And it says in Hebrews, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Even Jesus Christ had to go through the fire, the test, to say, are you going to be obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross? Even Jesus walked this same line. When the sons whom he receives, he trains and he turns up the heat on you. And so what is God trying to form in you? Like, what's the goal? 
Well, he says, for those who have been trained by it, it reveals the peaceful fruit of righteousness, a holiness in you. See, God is forming character, a holy character in you. And you know how character is grown? What's the fruit of the Spirit? You know how the fruit of the Spirit is grown in someone? It's good fruit. It's just grown in bad soil. So, the fruit of the Spirit is love. God, I just want to be more loving. I want to be a more loving human being. I want to love people better. I mean, Christ loved people. I want more people to know the love of Christ. I want to be a more loving person. And God says, perfect. I think that's a great goal. Okay, God, just give me love. And God says, yeah, I'm going to do that by giving you that roommate <laughs> who eats all your food and doesn't clean his dishes and makes a mess and wears your clothes and doesn't wash them and puts them back in your room. Like, I want you to work on love. I want you to be loving, like a self-sacrificial, like loving like Christ, even when it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, that's why I gave you Jimmy. Um, Jimmy's going to help you be a more loving person. Like, I put him there on purpose. Like, I want peace. Like, I want to be a peaceful person. You know, the first word is love, joy, peace. I want to be peaceful. I want not not a lot of fights. I just want want peace. I want to trust God in every circumstance. I want peace to just well up within me. God's like, that's great. Man, you are going to be a peaceful girl. Yeah, it's going to be great. How does that happen? I'm going to give you chaos. Like, that's... How do I grow peace in you? I put you in situations where you're tempted to be not peaceful and to not trust me. That's how I grow it. So you want peace? It's going to be awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint you. You're not going to get into the organization that you want. You're not going to get the grade that you want. You're not going to get the opportunity that you want. And you're going to have to learn to trust me in the midst of disappointment. And you're going to have peace. And then I'm going to bring like drama like roommate drama and friendship drama and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, God, I don't want to pray for peace anymore. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, need, I don't need all that. And, and God's like, yeah, it, it's good fruit. It's good fruit. It just grows in tough soil. Love, joy, peace, patience. I want patience, God. I just want to be patient with, with the future and where you're leading me. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you anything that's going to happen in the future. And I'm going to let you sit. And job interview after job interview is not going to happen for you. And you're just going to wait. You're going to spend a lot of time waiting. Okay, God, that's not the kind of patience I was talking about. <laughs> Kindness. I want to be kind to people. Well, people are going to be mean to you. Gentleness. Well, people are going to be harsh with you. Self-control. You're going to be tempted to fly off the handle. And all of those opportunities where you are tempted to not have those gifts, God's going to say, here's your time to work. Here's how I'm forming you, and I just turned up the temperature on you. Will you trust my hand? Will you trust that this is actually the process that will form Christ-like character in you? Will you actually trust my hand that I've arranged all of creation, and I've arranged all of your chaos to form Christ-like character in you? And you're like, God, please, will you just, I, I prayed for those things, but now I'm praying to get me out of those things. And God's like, no, I spent like millions of dollars to get all those people into place to form your character. Like, I'm not going to bail on you. Like, I love you too much to leave you as you are. Will you trust my hand? C.S. Lewis says it this way. The terrible thing, the most impossible thing is to hand your whole self all of your wishes and 
for Colossians to Christ. But it's far easier than what we are trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness and our great aim of life, and yet, at the same time, be good. We are trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money, pleasure, or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I... If I'm in a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and resown. What is God doing in your life and your heart? Why has God brought all of the chaos to you? It's because he wants to take this and to make it to something useful to the master. I went to that Joy Pottery place and I talked with her a little bit and she had amazing pottery all around and, and I couldn't afford it. And so I, I bought a coffee mug. And it is absolutely my favorite coffee mug. I don't let anyone else use it. It's mine. And as I looked at that mug, I I realized what she had done. She had formed it into the shape that her hands desired. and And then she fired it to solidify the form. And then she painted it. And then she fired it again. And what she said, this was astounding to me. What she said was, uh, some of the colors that I used on this, um, you couldn't even see until the second firing. And once I put it in the heat a second time, all of those colors became vibrant to the surface. See, some of the character God is forming in you, um, it's going to take the heat for it to show. Some of the lovingness that God is forming in you, it's going to take the heat for it to really show. Some of the patience that God is forming in you is going to take the heat to show. The beauty of your character takes the heat of the furnace. And God loves you. He cares for you. It's purposeful and painful. And it will make you into the man or woman of God. Useful for every good work for those who have been trained by it. So I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what things God is working in your life and heart, but I'm, I'm, I know this may have given a, hopefully, a better perspective for you. So I would just ask simply, where are you? What is God using in your life to shape you? And as we break into table discussion, I pray that you'd be open and honest to say, here's what God's doing in me. Here's how I'm resisting his forming. Help me to walk humbly under his hand. If you're a table host, I'm going to pray. You can get up and and leave. The rest of us will join in worship as we close. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you've loved us too much to leave us as we are. And Lord, I thank you that you are in the business of forming us into men and women useful to the master.
And Lord, I confess, I don't always like what you are doing in my life. And I resist it, and I often don't understand it. I confess that, Lord. But Lord, I pray that I would trust your hand. That I would receive your discipline as a a legitimate son, a son whom you love. God, that you would lead my life. And I would trust you.